welcome to another episode of Battle. I'm not going to act like this isn't our second time trying to do this again, Gil. Gil, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you for having me. Now we got to talk about the JFK assassination, obviously, but how's it been, man? It's been a little while since your first episode. Been been a little bit, but uh, we're, we're moving on. Are you any, I guess, certain areas that you're stuck on on the assassination? Uh, no, not really. I just some some stuff that I'm reading and uh, um, just uh, new stuff that I'm trying to learn. Like what? Uh, just about uh, like right now I'm working on the uh, the uh, conspiracy to kill Oswald. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm working on that right now. So I'm learning some things about that. Now, the Warren Commission stated that Jack Ruby had no Dallas police connections, right? Mm-hmm. Someone told me that was a conspiracy, and the Warren Commission never said that. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's in the volumes. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think they said that Jack Ruby had no help getting in the building, and he walked down a ramp. A uh, police officer that was supposed to be stationed there uh, was uh, distracted uh, by a car that was leaving and he just walked down the ramp without anybody saying anything. And, uh, that's a bunch of bullshit. That's, that's not true. Uh, he, he went in through, he was let in, he was allowed in, they knew he was in the building. And from the stuff that I've been reading lately, uh, they even knew he carried a gun. The cops were aware that he carried a gun. So, so he didn't just bring it for that assassination. He had it on him all the time. Yeah, he he carried the gun most of the time because see what his argument was that he carried a lot of lot of money, so he carried the gun as protection in case he ever tried somebody tried to rob him. So he had the gun. He had the gun on a Friday night when he was uh, at the uh, midnight press conference, and he was in the hallway before the press conference. He was within two or three feet of Oswald. He said he was within two or three feet of Oswald, and he admitted that he had the gun. That well later on he turned around and reneged on that. He. he he said that he didn't have the gun, that he lied, uh, that uh, the only reason why he said that was to help his position in his uh, case. But that doesn't make any sense, because if you're saying you don't have the gun on Friday night, how does that help you prove that it's not premeditation? You know what I mean? It, it doesn't make sense. I mean, he originally said that he had the gun. That wouldn't help him to, to prove that it was, wasn't premeditation. It should be premeditation if he had the gun. See? And he was in the hallway on Saturday and Saturday afternoon. He was photographed there. He was stalking Oswald. Yeah, that's what's strange is you see him pop up in all those videos. I mean, there's plenty of footage you can watch on YouTube of just Jack Ruby. That's what I I mean. Everyone keeps saying like it wasn't, you know, Jack Ruby wasn't stalking Oswald. I think the Warren Commission thing says that. But I just go, I mean, there's photos of him everywhere. And whether you want to say like there's even the really far conspiracies that say Jack Ruby didn't shoot Oswald. And I, yeah, I've seen that. I don't know if you've ever come across that, but there's a, a lot of stuff, like even the the press conference photo. I mean, that kind of, it just looks eerie how they got that shot. Like if you want to say like, we have photos of him there, it's like, yeah, it is strange that there are a lot of photos of him there, whether he's wearing glasses for just to ask questions and look like a reporter or whether you see him shoot Oswald. And then less than a minute later, you see him getting walked by wearing his full uh, cell, like whatever his inmate uh, attire. And it just like, that's so quick. I don't know if there was a chop or if there was an edit or if someone stopped the camera and then reloaded it again but he's everywhere it could have been edited yeah it could have been edited 
Could have been edited. But he's uh, everywhere. I mean, they, I even believe, I believe Seth Cancer when Seth Cancer says he saw him at Parkland Hospital. I mean, there's, I think probably a non-conspiracy viewpoint would be like that he just wanted to be in on everything, but that still would not explain why the Warren Commission stated that he didn't know any Dallas police or had no connection to Dallas police officers. And I've even or he, or, or he was sent there, or, or he was, he might have been sent there to, to make sure that Kennedy was dead. What, at Parkland Hospital? Yeah, I don't know. I need to see evidence on that one. I hate to be that guy, but there's like there's so much now where like it's interesting. I mean, what are your thoughts? Do you think that like obviously he knew about what was going on? I mean, how do we get this famous statement of him saying to go see the fireworks? I remember when I first heard that first read that and then I was like, well, did they have fireworks at the parade? No, they didn't have any fireworks at the parade. I mean, there's plenty of people that talked about the gunshots sounded like fireworks. But what did the fireworks mean? Why is that included in there? And who wanted to go pursue what that meant? I mean, that seems premeditated to me in a sense. Here's a, here's a good, here's a little piece of uh, evidence I ran across in the last couple of weeks. And that was that uh, two witnesses, two women uh, who worked in uh, one of the buildings in Dealey Plaza. I'd have to look it up on my files. But um, two women claimed that they saw Jack Ruby in Dealey Plaza during the assassination, he saw Jack Ruby after the assassination hand Lee Harvey Oswald a gun. Who said that? Now that's interesting. Uh, that's that's interesting. There was two. There were two uh, two witnesses. Were they picked up by the Warren Commission at all? Uh, no, no, they were never called. Uh, they were never called to the Warren Commission. Let me tell you who they were. Evelyn Harris. She said she they uh, she was and uh, Mrs. Lopez and uh, Mrs. Lopez. They were. Uh, employed by the, uh, well, Harris was employed by the T.B. Butler Publishing Company, but Lopez was, uh, let's see, uh, she was told by this woman, Lucy Lopez, the story. Now, Lu 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 Lucy Lopez told her that the, uh, her and another woman, the, the girls that worked in this place, um, they spoke Spanish and uh, they worked in a, a sewing room across from the Texas School Book Depository Building. They, they said that they reportedly observed Jack Ruby walking up and down the street near the Texas School Book Depository building. And when Oswald came out of the building, they saw Oswald give him a pistol. Now that's commission document, if you want to write this down, in case you want to look it up, commission document, CD 205, page 451. They saw Ruby walking around and then they, uh, so they interviewed, the FBI interviewed Lucy Lopez. Her, uh, the report on her is the following page 452. Said so, uh, here's the, the FBI report says the two or three Mexican girls, names not given, who work at the sewing room across from the Texas School Book Depository building, had seen a chubby man give a pistol to Lee Harvey Oswald when Oswald left the Texas School Book Depository building. The persons who saw this transfer of the pistol from a chubby man to Oswald were afraid of the Dallas Police Department. So they were afraid to report this to the Dallas Police that they had seen this. Uh, this is just stuff that I'm coming across that's real interesting. And a lot of this is in the documents, the commission documents. This was never part of the 26 volumes. This was never a commission exhibit or a uh, testimony or anything like that. This, these were documents. See, for people to understand this, they have to understand that this was not a criminal investigation. This was not a murder investigation. This was an investigation to collect evidence against one suspect. That was Oswald. Anything else? that pointed to other people or other guns or other locations, or those things were suppressed. And the things they did find out, they put in commission, what they called commission documents, 
those were put on the side, but they were never part of the 26 volumes and they were never part of the Warren report. Your background is police investigation. You did, we worked in law enforcement and all that. So you can tell stuff that the DPD did not do properly when it comes to an investigation. And a giant red flag is when people say they're scared to tell the Dallas police. I mean, that's the exact opposite. Besides today's time of everyone mistrusting the cops, in a sense, usually if someone breaks into your home, you're still calling the police. You're not calling a crackhead. You're, despite what that, whatever that political, I don't know if you've ever seen that political campaign where the guy says, call a crackhead next time, whatever. Next part of this is the investigation. I mean, look at the Dallas police. There were a lot of errors and a lot of things that should have been picked up. Now, you can say bad police work, but there was a lot of things that were not properly taken care of. The best thing is Oswald's last 48 hours when he's being walked out, and that's where Jack Ruby takes his shot. I mean, there was a whole giant gap. The crowd wasn't surveyed before. It was just people standing around, and it looks a little bit like a show. Yeah, but that's the thing when you look at it from a when you have experience in uh, law enforcement or security experience and you look at this and you just you have to shake your head because those those newsmen should never have been in that hallway they should have been in another location where the police would come out and they give them periodical uh summaries of what was going on never should have been in the police station uh and uh that whole, the whole thing it was like the police chief was the one that was responsible for all of this. Okay, he was the one responsible for allowing the newspaper reporters and 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 those people to get in the building to have access to the building. And from a security standpoint, the more people that Oswald was exposed to, uh, the more danger he was in because the attitude in Dallas there were people that wanted to kill him. You know, what I mean, anybody if anybody could get in the building, they could get a shot at him. And and they even had threats that they had received that we're going to kill them when you try to move. This was this was stuff that they knew. And it's like they allowed this to happen. You know what I mean? They took no no extraordinary security procedures that they could have done. They could have transferred them in the middle of the night uh, without the press there. Uh, they could have uh, surrounded him with policemen. There were like 60 policemen in the cellar there in the basement. And here he is wide open, wide open. And the police officer that's behind him, the detectives that's behind him, testifies to the commission that he's only there to protect him from escaping. Okay? And he's not there to protect anybody from getting to him. He's not there to protect the prisoner. He's there to protect, to prevent the prisoner from escaping. And I'm thinking to myself, why would you need this, prevent him from escaping? He's handcuffed to Lavelle. Why would you need to, you know... The point is that he was there to make sure that Oswald didn't get away from Ruby. And if Oswald saw Ruby coming at him with the gun, he had no place to go. He had a detective behind him. He was handcuffed to another detective. Another detective had the other arm. Ruby, uh, Oswald had no place to go. And Fritz was way ahead of him. So he was wide open for Ruby. This was all planned. This was all planned. This wasn't something that Ruby just spurred a moment. He just thought, but spur in a moment. Uh, so they, they asked him, they said, well, if this was spur in a moment, they asked Ruby, how come you were carrying a gun? How come you took a gun into the police station? You wouldn't have, didn't have any money on you then. You know, he couldn't answer the question. Well, how did he get into Dallas police with a gun? That's the thing. Didn't the Dallas police check him to make sure that didn't happen? They let him in because there were witnesses who claimed uh, uh, reporters. There were reporters and there were... Uh, 
I think there was a guy from the telephone company, if I remember correctly. It's, I'm going to put this all on the education forum. But um, I don't go on there. I'm sorry, I don't go on the education forum. There's a guy. There's a guy. There's a guy. There was a guy who was a news uh, telephone reporter, uh, telephone reporter, telephone worker. He was supposed to be putting extra lines into Chief Curry's office, and he was there that morning. And he came down from the third floor into the basement before they brought Oswell out. And his ID was checked. He had to prove who he was. Okay. And then they turned around and the bag that he had, the tool bag that he had that he carried, they checked that to make sure that he didn't have any weapons. So from the time Oswald was arrested to the time he was shot, the Dallas police were checking IDs of everybody who came in the building. Okay. They were checking IDs of all the reporters, press credentials. And they weren't only, they were checking them on the first floor when they came in the building. And then when they went up the elevator to the third floor, they were checking them again. Okay. So these are two checkpoints where the Dallas police are checking IDs, to make sure that the people that are coming in the building are really press people. There's no freaking way that Jack Ruby could have gotten that building unless the police allowed him in. Do you think it's possible that they could have let him in? Like, cause they, they knew him, but it was a, they didn't yeah. know he was going yeah, to was shoot it. him it's, though. That was it. Because there's own... a weird thing when he shoots Oswald that the reaction is so quick. It's not someone of like, oh, I got to jump on this guy. This is like, holy shit. And then they, they jump on him quick. So I just think like maybe they allowed Ruby to be in there because go back to before what I was saying. And I'm not trying to say it's not a conspiracy. I do believe conspiracy. I say that. But I'm just trying to see something that doesn't involve a whole lot of leaping and go. Because this is the part where everyone starts going documentation on this. And I'm trying my best to sort through. Like I think Ruby visited Traficante in Cuba. Um, I believe the reporter that stated that as well, too. And I think Traficante made a statement as well, too, about saying someone visited him, but he didn't remember who else was in the jail cell around him. And it turned out to be a reporter that went to the FBI headquarters. But they jumped on him so quick. I go, if he knew if they knew that he was going to kill Oswald, they probably would have just thrown him down to the ground. But what you can prove that is really, really an error is the fact that the Warren Commission stated that Ruby didn't know Dallas police. Well, how else did he get in there? I mean, if it was just pressed around there and you searched everybody's badges, how did you miss Ruby? Did you lie about saying that you checked the press people and checked for badges? Or did you let Ruby in and just to watch? Like, how did he get at that midnight press conference? He's the only one there that's not a reporter or not police. So you let him in to do whatever. I guess they didn't know what was going to happen, but I think, I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, you probably think that they or he helped orchestrate with Dallas police. And I do, there's a lot of Dallas police stuff that just doesn't make sense. I don't know if it was how the agency was going back then, but they destroyed a death letter or death threat from Oswald allegedly three weeks before. And it accounts varies whether he was going to report it to higher authorities or blow the place up. And that's a big, very, that's a really big issue. Right. Right. And I and I think the, the letter said, you know, if if you don't if you don't handle this, I'm going to blow the roof off the Dallas police and the FBI. Now, first of all, if he was threatening the FBI for, or he was uh, pissed off at uh, Hosty for harassing his wife, what the hell's that got to do with the Dallas police? It's got nothing to do with the Dallas police. So I think that, you know, that's a figure of speech. You know, if you don't if you don't, I'm going to tell everything I know, I'm going to blow the roof off this place. You know what I mean? Uh, I think that Oswald uh, knew what was going on. I think that there was there was a, a conspiracy. I think he knew what was going on. I think I know now who was behind it, uh, the whole thing. Um, and I think it had to do with uh, a certain Texas oil tycoon who uh, was a very rich man and who uh, set this all up. He had 
He had the judges in his pocket. He had the district attorney in his pocket. He had the police in his pocket. And uh, there were con there's connections between him and Ruby. There's connections between him and Oswald. And uh, this is all going to, I'm going to put this all out there. It's it, eventually, I'm, I'm still working on it. But uh, I think he's the one who, at least, at the very least, I'm not saying Ruby said that he was involved in killing the president, but I think that he was definitely involved in killing Oswald. And uh, the evidence will be there. I'll, I'll put it out there and uh, let people think what they want to think. Can I ask about when you say, like, blow the roof off of the Dallas police? Could that be, like, kind of exposing the corruption that a lot of people, yeah, a lot of researchers exactly. I've talked to? Yeah, a lot of researchers I've exactly. talked to have talked about the corruption. Um, there's just a to get a little bit off the Oswald subject, but more onto the Dallas police subject. I mean, what were some red flags to you that you thought about Dallas police? Uh, it, it could be about Ruby. It could be about evidence. It could be, a, I mean, there's a lot of things you could really kind of look at. I'm just curious to what kind of in your mind are first red flags. Uh, the way they conducted the police lineups. Is that the one, it, both lineups, right? Where they kind of put cops in one of the lineups and I don't know. Yeah, about they the put second. cops in the first two. And they put uh, some prisoners in in the third one. And then in the fourth one, they used teenagers and a Mexican. Uh, and, you know, which one of the which one of the tippet witnesses said that the shooter was a Mexican? Now, these these lineups were conducted so that Oswald was the only choice the witness could make. That's it. They were influencing the witnesses by the way they constructed the police lineups. And here's Oswald, all battered and bruised, right, with a torn shirt and and yelling and screaming for his rights. And the other three guys are well-dressed and some with blonde hair, some with, uh, 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 you know, a lot better dressed than him. It's different heights, different weights. And uh, it's just, that, that's not the way you conduct the lineup. Uh, that's, that's the first thing. Second thing is that they continued to question him even after he had asked for a lawyer, okay, which is a no-no. But see, you have to understand that if he's not going to make it to trial, if they know they got the wrong guy and he's not going to make it to trial, it doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter that they don't allow him to have a lawyer. Another trick they, they did was they didn't allow him to make any phone calls till after 5 p.m. So he couldn't contact the lawyer between the time he was arrested and 5 p.m. They, they let him use the uh, phone afterwards. Now, what New York lawyer? He wants a New York lawyer. There's an hour's difference between Dallas and the East Coast. So that's six o'clock in the East Coast. Now, what New York lawyer is going to be in his office after 6 p.m. on a Friday night? I don't think so. It's not going to happen. Nobody's in their office after 6 p.m. in New York. So anyways, that's another thing. Then they uh, wouldn't allow his family to talk to him on Friday. They didn't get a chance to see him till Saturday. That's when they visit him in the jail, right? Yeah, they, they, they went and visited him on Saturday, but they wouldn't let him, they wouldn't let him uh, see him on Friday because they didn't want him to tell the family what was going on and for them to get him a lawyer before five o'clock. So they didn't allow the family to see him on Friday night. And then uh, another thing was that I found strange is that they arraigned him without any evidence. They didn't have any evidence for him killing the president. And they arraigned him at 1.35 in the morning. Uh, you know, instead of waiting till Monday and taking him to court, arraigning him there in court and then just turning him over to the sheriff. Uh, it doesn't make sense. Why would you arraign him at 1.35 a.m. in the morning? Uh, this is just uh, another tactic that they use called sleep deprivation, and they uh, keep interrupting his sleep pattern, and hopefully they break, break him down and to get him to confess. That was, the, that was the thing they wanted to do. They wanted him to confess, and he never did.
They were even yelling at him when after he was shot and they took him into the hospital. They were yelling at him, according to one of the doctors. They're yelling at him, did you do it? Did you do it? They were still trying to get a confession out of him. And he never he never confessed. I thought um, even the ambulance ride, I forgot what they did to him. They put something in it. They put a chest tube in him or something. I don't know if that is when he's at the hospital or not. But they said that like he, it, the situation after his shot that his body just shut down or something like that. So he was like unresponsive is one of the statements that I saw. But I mean, that's an, that's another situation. I mean, that his whole death scenario, I mean, people pick stuff out of stuff. And I mean, that's why it's important to have like documents and stuff to back it up as well. So it gets annoying sometimes because when you're trying to make a point, someone's like, show me a document, show me a doctor like shit. Um, okay. I got 50,000 on my computer. Let me load one up. But there's so many varying statements out there. I mean, even with Dallas police and the whole situation, I mean, at this point, you got to look at it like you're a, a couple of Texas cops and you just got probably one of the biggest events in history that just happened. I mean, this is going to be great for you. If you can get your name on the front page. I mean, there's a video out there that you can watch from one of the officers after the whole theater arrest. And he talked about Oswald having a shotgun and we know Oswald didn't have a shotgun in the theater, but they kind of added that in there. And I, I mean, you could say that was just off the top of his head, trying to give an answer. Sure. But you can only justify so much where any official police stuff is like, I can't make a statement right now. I can't make a statement right now. And they gave plenty of statements that have been verifiably false. Yeah. And, and the chief of police kept saying, well, I can't tell you what the evidence is. I can't tell you what the evidence is. Well, because they don't have any. And uh, at that point, they didn't have any. And so uh, when he but then he turns around and when he, they find out the FBI finds out that Oswald, they got the the sales agreement for the rifle and stuff. Now he comes out and he tells them about, oh, he filled this uh, application out and sent it in a Hadell. And if the chief's telling him everything, it's like, well, what, what's, what's the story here, chief? Can you talk about the evidence or can't you? I mean, you're, you're, you're hanging the guy before he even goes to trial, before he even gets a lawyer. Why would they give him so much time to talk in this press conference, though? Like he said a very good couple of statements, one that's I'm just a patsy and then it was kind of shoved through a doorway. But then there's another one where he's saying I'm, I emphatically deny these charges that are put against me. And he didn't even really know what the charges were. Someone was talking and he stops and looks over. I mean, they gave him a lot of time. I would feel like if you're trying to really convict a guy who's innocent, you wouldn't give him any time to speak. Well, they, they ended up they, the Dallas police ended up uh, telling the reporters in the hallway, don't ask him any more questions. And the excuse they gave is because we can't get any information out of them as long as you guys are riling them up because you're asking them questions, you're getting them all upset, and then he won't talk to us. So then the reporters are like, okay, well, one reporter says, let's all agree that we're not going to ask any ask him any more questions. And from that point on, they didn't ask him any questions. They brought him out. It was quiet. Boom. And they took him to wherever they were taking him. And uh, so eventually the police turned around and did it, get the press to agree not to ask him any more questions. But yeah, he did have an opportunity a couple of times there. And when he did, one of the things he kept saying was these police officers have not allowed me to have legal representation. He says, I, uh, you know, I request somebody uh, to come and give me legal representation. He kept asking for this. And uh, they ended up going, the ACLU ended up going and talking to the police and the police said, well, he never asked for a lawyer. That was their story. He never asked for a lawyer. Did you ever hear him ask for a lawyer? Nope, never, never. And then, you know, that's what they're going to say. What do you expect them to say? You know, it's like Henry Wade saying he didn't know uh, Jack Ruby. What do you expect them to say? Yeah, we're good friends. 
Of course, then Ruby and Wade were good friends. Wade drank at Ruby's bar. <laughs> you know, you get a witness, I get a witness on video that says that she saw Ruby. She was a manager. She was the bartender and manager for Jack Ruby. And she said that Ruby, uh, Wade would drink it for free. This is part of the corruption, Rob, that the Dallas police did. They took gratuity from people. OK, and when you, you can't do that, that's it's not illegal, but it's unethical. OK, and this is part of their corruption that they, these Dallas cops would go to Ruby's joint and they drink for free. And the best booze he had, he gave them the best booze he had. Now, Jack Ruby, I, I say it, I use the phrase, he was in bed with the Dallas police. And he was, he was all part of this. And he was all part of this corruption. And this corruption was uh, bought and purchased for by this Dallas oil guy. And uh, he owned everybody. And th th there's no way, even the, even the mobsters, where the, the mobster went to his house in the middle of the night and had a talk with him. The next day, Oswald was dead. So um, there's a lot. There's a lot here that I can't. Uh, I can't really say right now because I'm not finished with it. But uh, I'm putting the pieces together, and I think I can prove that there was a conspiracy to kill Oswald. And the Dallas cops, they did the same. They did the same thing to Oswald that they did to Kennedy. They let him into an ambush where he had no protection from the front, from the sides, from above, nothing. He had no protection at all. And somebody got him. And that's the way they handled it. And that, and that, I'm learning through all these documents, but didn't somebody tell the Dallas police to stand down? Wasn't there like 126 or something officers that were standing by and they weren't called to go protect the motorcade at all? Uh, I believe that I have heard somewhere where the, uh, there were guys that were on vacation and had their days off and they refused to come in. Now, I don't know if that, that's true or not, because the chief of police could have turned around and said, look, we need everybody. We're canceling all, all, uh, we're canceling all vacations and we're canceling all days off and don't call in sick because we'll come to, we'll send the crews at the house to get you because we need everybody on board. Okay. Because this is the president. They know Dallas is a hot spot. They know the people there are whacked out and they know that they're going to take, somebody's going to take a shot at this guy. They're going to do something. They knew this ahead of time. So why did the Secret Service take his protection away? Because they were involved in this too. The Dallas Secret Service was involved in this too. All of these people, all of these people were owned by one guy, okay? And the one guy that owned them also owned Lyndon Johnson. And when you start to look at it all, you say it all begins to make sense now. You he's not afraid. Who is he's, it? He's not, he's not afraid to kill the president of the United States because his guy is on the on-deck circle. You follow me? And he ain't going to put me in jail. I can do whatever he wants. He told one woman who said to him, you know, you're going to get in trouble by putting those wanted for treason posters up. And he said, you know what? I'm the richest man in the world. I can do whatever I want. Who made the posters? Yeah. He was the one who put the posters up on, uh, on the parade room. I thought that was Walker. Well, they're all they're all connected. See, Walker made sure that he wasn't in town because he knew in advance Kennedy was going to get killed. So he made sure that he was uh, he was someplace else far away. And he even made, made mention of it when he was on the plane. He said to people, hey, your witnesses, I'm here. I didn't kill him. You know what I mean? So he, he knew something was going to happen uh, on, on when the president came to Dallas. And uh, and he made sure that he wasn't in town when he did, because he would have been one of the first he would have been one of the first suspects. I've 
I have through all the like, researchers I've talked to, I've never really talked about the oil aspect of things. Like I've never, I've heard, I, I know about one guy that was hunting with an, like an ex Nazi or something like that. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard that before. That's the only little bit I've ever heard, but nobody's ever gone down the oil route before. And it's like, I mean, I try and stick with things that I can just, I know a little bit about as well too. I mean, I don't mind. I'm not saying I disagree with you or I agree with you. I'm just kind of trying to figure the whole events out and, the over 60 years you think we'd be closer to finding an answer but it seems like there's just a lot that just gets shoved in like now i'm just trying to verify what like there's certain statements from certain people i would consider credible um the reporter for instance that saw traficante and ruby when they were in castro's prison he's been discredited been called insane but i consider it credible because he went to the fbi after ruby killed oswald and said that's the guy that was in Havana, you know, vi visiting Traficante. And then the HSCA found out later that, oh, my God, he did. Q Ruby was in Cuba that day, but he said he was just sightseeing. So that guy did not. There's no way he could have known that. So that's a one in a million shot guess right there. So, I mean, that I would consider more credible, but there's also through the community, you'll have people that'll say, well, you can't trust that person's statement. But then if that person's statement fit with their narrative, then they say, okay, you can trust that person's statement. So it's like, well, it's not about what fits you. It's about what fits the, what close to happen or what we would think happened. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and a lot of the evidence, once it's, once you can get corroboration for it, you can get a second source or a third source or whatever. Uh, it's pretty much, you can believe that. Um, it's like the 59 people who said that the uh, limousine slowed down or stopped in Dealey Plaza. You know, these people, what, what are they all wrong? These people who saw Kennedy hit in the front of the head, that these people are all wrong. What are they all suffering from like some mass delusion? Uh, how, how does that happen? But this is what they say. They were either lying or they're wrong. This is their argument for everything. And but they'll believe one per, one person. If Howard Brennan turns around and says he saw Roswell up in that window with a rifle, you know, they believe him. That's not corroborated. No one's ever corroborated that. And he didn't even identify Oswald when he saw him in the lineup. He didn't identify Oswald until after he was dead. But they still use that. You know, Helen Markham is is uh uh, fruity is a fruitcake, but they believe there everything she said about the Tippett murder. You know, she even went to she even went to the uh, lineup and and didn't identify Oswald. She didn't identify positively identify Oswald because a positive identification is when a witness says that's the guy. Okay, that's the guy I saw. I'll never forget his face. There's no doubt in my mind. Are you sure? Yeah. Would you testify to it? Absolutely. That's the guy I saw kill the police officer. That's the guy I saw in the window with the rifle. That's the guy I saw fleeing the scene. That's the guy I saw uh, pull the gun on a police officer in the uh, theater. Those are. That's the way you have a positive identification from a witness. You don't go in there and tell the witness, well, you know, he, the guy to kill the cop is in this lineup. And if we can nail him for killing the cop, we can nail him for killing the president, too. You don't tell people things like that. The way to properly conduct a police lineup is you say to them, we're going to show you four or five men, whatever. OK, if you see the man that you saw commit this crime in that lineup, we want you to point him out to us. Tell us what number he is. And then you bring the guys in and let the witness tell you that the guy is in the lineup. You don't tell the witness that the guy's in the lineup because now you've already uh, tainted their idea that they got to pick somebody because he's in there. You know what I mean? He may not even be in that lineup. 
So you can't, this is, this is what I mean when I say, when you start to look at it from a security point of view or from a police point of view, and you look at the way they conducted these things, this is bullshit. That's all it is. They, they tried to get the witnesses to say that it was Oswald. And they did. And even when she went to testify to the Warren Commission, she said, they asked her, had you ever seen any of these men before? She said, no. You've never seen these men before? She said, no. She never seen any of them. But she picked Oswald, number two. She says, number two is the one I picked. You picked a guy that you never seen by You admit that you never seen before because she had to pick somebody. It wasn't the other three because they were all police employees. Well, if you if you set someone up in a lineup and you have four people that do not match the description of the one other person, so you have a bunch of people that look the same, but then you have one guy that's standing out. So that's obviously going to skew somebody's choice already right there. That's unethical as a police thing if you're really trying to get down to the bottom of the crime. But we'd have to look for unethical things before, and that goes back to what we were saying in the beginning about Jack Ruby, the club, getting drinks ordered to the cops and everything of that sort. That could help Jack Ruby have connections to be able to go inside Dallas police and do all those things because he, there's favors maybe he can pull, all that type of stuff. You don't have to search me, man. I'm, I'm clean. Trust me. Trust me. I bought you drinks last night. Simple stuff like that. Unethical as police. Well, who is the guy with the largest, like, what was the conviction percentage, the the rating of his convictions that he had, where it was, like, way higher than any other normal cop should have? Oh, that was, that was the district attorney. That was uh, Henry Wade. They asked him, uh, how many times have you uh, asked for the death penalty? And he said 48. She said, how many times have you got it? He says 47. So when you have people that are obviously seem like they're over like James Bond type to do their job, but it's just bad ethics. And you look at Dallas police back then. I mean, gangs, I mean, this is a large thing with wrongfully imprisoning people as well too. neutron star activation, I think has been debunked since they were using it way back then, but there's a lot of thing, even the polygraph test, there's a phone call with Hoover and Johnson that you can listen to. And Hoover's telling Johnson that Jack Ruby wants to go to the white house or Washington to give a polygraph examination. And he goes, do you trust it? And then Hooper said, I don't trust it a damn bit. They said that in 64. So, or 64, or 63. So you say that back then that wasn't exposed until 2014 by the innocence project about using polygraph tests as any evidence to get someone convicted in court. So they knew all that time that it was kind of junk science in a sense. And we didn't learn about that until very recently. So you got to think about the people that would be influenced thinking that this thing's going to pick up a lie that I'm giving, or you got to be the type of people say, I mean, look, if it's wrong in the first place, if they say, oh, he's telling the truth, you're now manipulating the evidence because it doesn't work and you are, know it doesn't work, but you're just going to say, no, we didn't see anything. And then you can get a wrong, we can get a person that could, should be convicted off. You can get a person that shouldn't be convicted, convicted. So, I mean, there's already a past of corruption with Dallas police. So it's not, I'm just trying to look at like things that you say, I'm trying to find if there's a history for that. And if you look at Dallas police, for instance, did anybody come across that memo, either Katzenbach sent out or Hoover sent out about when Oswald was interrogation and they said, we got our man. Because if somebody from higher up told them this is the guy and it's only this guy, then they're going to do everything in their power to make sure that it's going to be this guy. And you got to think if they're already up to corrupt activities, they're not above doing it again to Oswald or making sure that Oswald takes the blame for it as well, too. But at the same time, I mean, I don't know. I don't think they want the FBI and all the Secret Service and everybody snooping in on their extracurricular activities. I guarantee you some of them were probably getting money off the side to something. Yeah, and uh, the Ruby, uh, the House Select Committee on Assassinations took a look at the Ruby polygraph test that he did. He ended up taking one, and uh, but he took it in Dallas, 
and they ended up uh, taking a look at it. And the things that they found, it's in volume eight of the uh, House Select Committee on Assassinations. Um, I think it went somewhere around uh, I don't know, page two, 210 or so. But it's anyways, it's uh, the things that they found out about the polygraph test, that the uh, polygraph machine was not adjusted correctly, that it was not uh, operating right, that it was giving wrong answers. Uh, and uh, what's interesting about it is that uh, this is what they said. Let me see if I get what they said. said uh, it, it appeared to the panel that Ruby was possibly lying when answering no to the question, did you assist Oswald in the assassination? Now, that's, to me, is in the, that's pretty big. It said, it said here, there were four questions he was asked, and the, four, the uh, last two were, are you a member of the Communist Party? And the answer is no. And he said, have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? He said no. It says here that the House Select Committee panel noted a large rise in blood pressure in response to the question, have you ever been a member of the Communist Party, to which Ruby answered no. Now, the first two questions that he was asked, see if I can find it here. Uh, first two questions were, did you know Oswald before November 22nd, 1963? And he answered no. And did you answer, did you assist Oswald in the assassination? And he answered no. Now, when they uh, asked him that question, did you assist Oswald in the assassination? And he answered no. Said uh, it showed the largest valid GSR, which was, uh, I say, I find out what it, what that means. But uh, GSR reaction in test number one, in addition, there is a constant suppression of breathing and a rise in blood pressure at the time of this crucial relevant question. From this test, it appeared to the panel that Ruby was possibly lying when he answered no to the question, did you assist Oswell in the assassination? Now, they said, the um, Warren Commission said that that was the truth, that they determined that, that he had been telling the truth. But when the House Select Committee looked at it, they said that there was a, it was a, uh, indication that he was lying, that he did assist Oswald. The House Select Committee needs to get a better reputation, I swear to you. They exposed some things about the Warren Commission that just weren't obviously wrong, but you know they don't ever really get talked about in history. Well, they were, again, you have the government the government investigating itself, yeah. and you know what's, what are you going to get out of that? Well, if you you got to send me that as well, too. I want to I look at what you just read as well. Um, but I mean, if we talk about, I mean, this, the warrant, why would the warrant, that's the thing with me with Jack Ruby though, is like, it, didn't he call and say that he, someone was getting him to kill Oswald? Like, why would he do that if he was called in to clear up Oswald? Well, maybe he didn't want to do it. Maybe he really didn't want to do it. Maybe he was having second thoughts. Or maybe they told him, you either do it or we'll do you. <laughs> But because do you know whose statements that comes from, though? I've heard it before from a couple of researchers, and I think I've seen the document once, but I don't know who was the person on the phone that was receiving phone calls that Jack Ruby. Uh, that was Billy, Billy Grandma. Billy Grandma was the one who got the phone call, and he claimed that uh, he was told that uh, we, we are going to kill Oswald, and you better change the uh, arrangements because we're going to kill Oswald. Now, he claims, Billy Grandma did, and he said that the guy that called him called him by name, so he knew who he was because he called him Billy. Billy Grandma claims that uh, uh, that uh, he didn't recognize the voice until after Ruby shot Oswald. But anyways, uh, uh, then he realized it was Jack Ruby who had called. Now, 
I don't know if I believe Wait, that. But so that's he what, recognized him by his voice? He, he, he recognized the voice afterwards. He didn't recognize him as at, at the time he was talking. But after he shot Oswald, he realized the guy he, would talk, he was talking to was Jack Ruby. I find that hard to believe. But anyways, if he knew him well enough to know him by name, he must have known his voice. But, you know, what are you going to say? But anyways, uh, that was uh, that's, that was Billy, Gra uh, Billy Grammer, uh, G-R-A-M-M-A-R. His video's on one of my YouTube channels where he's talking about it. And uh, Did you ever follow Jack Ruby after he killed Oswald? Did you see when he was giving interviews and things of that sort? I got some of that stuff. I got some of it somewhere. And uh, uh, this is going to be on the thing that I post, but uh, he talks about people in high places who put him in the situation that he was in and uh, they used them. In other words, they used them. And uh, the reporter asked him, are these people in high places? And he said, yes. And uh, eventually he started writing some letters to a guy named Miller, who was uh, another inmate that was served with him. And these letters to this guy Miller, in one of them, he claims Johnson was behind. Him. Johnson was behind the whole thing. And, uh, but the, he, the way he says it, he's not saying it like it's a matter of fact. He's saying it more like he's, that's his opinion. You know what I mean? He's not providing any evidence about it. But he does mention uh, Lamar Hunt, H.L. Uh, Hunt's son. He mentions him, calls him a motherfucker, calls him a Nazi. Uh, he calls him, oh, yeah, he's right. I'm going to put this all up there and it's going to be able, you're going to be able to see it. But uh, he writes this letter and it's, uh, it's amazing uh, some of the stuff that he's saying about it. And uh, they tried to make him up to be a, a crazy. I'm not sure he was crazy. I think that he, what he realized, he said to Earl Warren that uh, his life was in danger. He begged to go to Washington. What was it about Dallas that he couldn't say? Uh, he knew something because uh, he wanted to tell a story, but he couldn't tell a story. He had to go to Washington to do it. He was afraid to tell it in Dallas. Now, when he's being interviewed during, during this whole thing, when he's talking to Earl Warren, there's a bunch of people in the room with him. I mean, you get the assistant district attorney. Why does he have to be there? You know, he's got two or three different lawyers. He's got the sheriff, the department sheriff. There's like 10 people in the room. And of course, he's not going to talk if people that are involved or are on a payroll of some rich oil guy is uh, is there. You know what I mean? He's not going to talk going in front into of the, them. You're going too much into the who. From I try and stay out of the who and the why. I realize that's probably been the most controversial but, but, territory. But what I'm saying is that these clues that he's given us, uh, he's he's telling us these people are, put him in position to uh, to take the fall. And he's saying, you know, to, to Earl Warren, he's saying it's almost like Oswald didn't kill Kennedy. I did because he killed the truth. And uh, he's not allowed to say it. Well, he was definitely going to be either attacked by somebody or someone of the public, for instance. There's a lot of people, I think. That's the only reason the conspiracy door is really still open from the day. Like, it just didn't wrap up with Oswald. It, if they would have been arrested. We wouldn't have had this long, drawn-out conspiracy. We would have one dude maybe screaming in a prison cell that I didn't do it, but nobody believing him because he killed the president or whatever. The public 
thinks that he killed the president. But then when Jack Ruby shoots him, I think everybody that either saw that or heard about it immediately red flags go up where the only reason that conspiracy door was opened was because of that for the research community to dive in and open it up more. The HSCA to go in and open it up more. The ARRB to open it up and get documents and as much as they possibly could before you know ran out. It was because of a strip club owner killing the killer of the pre- alleged killer of the president. I'm seeing more articles now talking about alleged assassin Oswald. And I, I know people have, you know, things that they say behind closed doors to talk about. I don't know if I believe the official version, but the official thing is, is like, you got to start making the connections there. And when you start looking at like Dallas police, you start looking at the FBI, you start looking at the CIA, you start looking at the secret service, whether you agree Oswald took a shot or not, somebody did their job improperly and when i mean improperly i mean someone should have got something happened to them when it came to losing their job the secret service from drinking the night before the dallas police for how corrupt and unethical a lot of their stuff was going on just to make sure a narrative fits because if that doesn't get stopped then they're just going to keep doing it for people with less public view you know people that don't kill the president or people that aren't being accused of killing the president i mean how many people were locked up or given the chair who wrongfully we're put in that situation because Dallas police said it was you and we got to make sure it's you. Yeah. Well, if you, you can, you can look up it up online, but uh, after his death, I believe it was after his death, the uh, uh, innocence project of Texas took a look at some of uh, Henry Wade, the DA who was uh, prosecuting Oswald. They took a look at some of his cases and 19 of his cases were overturned on DNA evidence. In other words, he got convictions on 19 people. In, in different crimes that were innocent. He presented the case to, to a jury where they convicted these people and they were actually innocent and the DNA evidence overturned their convictions. And some of them had been in jail for 14, 15 years. And so for a crime they didn't commit. So there was a lot of corruption in this, uh, in this Dallas um, criminal justice system, if you will. And, uh, so do you think that he, they drug do you think they drugged Ruby? It's possible. Did you watch the video of him where he's talking in one of his interviews? I accidentally pulled up when I was doing a JFK panel with William Law and Donald Jeffries and Russell Kent. Um, he was talking about Genesis and I watched it all. And he was talking about some like a lot of biblical references and just weird things, but his eyes looked glazed like he was high on something. Now, I had been talking about this long before Tucker Carlson did. I'm sure plenty of other people have talked about it as well, too. I got a lot of my, a lot of info, info on it from Tom O'Neill. And then I found like the X or the X-rays where they like I, I try and say this. There's the MK Ultra aspect with Ruby. And I know everyone goes, oh, God. Well, you can't prove what they gave him. You cannot. There's no documentation on what was in the shot that they gave him. But I can tell you out of the four out of five psychiatrists that he did get visited by, the one who administered him a flu shot for walking pneumonia was um, Joyon West, who was tied to MK Ultra and ran those Haight-Ashbury clinics for dressing up like hippies and drugging random people. Now, I can't – like I said, I can't prove what was in that shot. Jack Ruby said it was cancer. Now, he died of whatever pulmonic anoma or something like that, but then the secondary cause was cancer that they found in like a lung or something like that, but it was a clot in his leg was the primary cause. Now, that is weird, but a year before, they were injecting prisoners with live cancer cells. So there is prior evidence of doing it to prisoners, and here's where the double standard kind of comes in. People go, oh, they did it to prisoners. I can believe that, but they don't believe it on the Jack Ruby thing. Where I go, there's no double standard here in corruption. There's, you know, they can they can do it the same thing to me. They can do it to you. They can do whatever. 
So absolutely. If it's if if it's done to a prisoner, obviously they can do it to anybody that they fucking want to. They just pick pick a person, you know, hit them with a blow dart. That's it. No, I'm just kidding. But there's a real like when you look into Jack Ruby. Now, if we have that, it's an Ohio penitentiary where that comes from. It was an article. Did Jack Ruby see that article? Could be a possibility. Greg brings that up. It's a great example by Greg, um, Greg Parker. He's done great work as well too, and for the research community. And then you look at the X-rays they gave Jack Ruby. And this source does come. I mean, you could take Judith Baker. I, I asked her where she got it. She, she said she got it from the archives. I've seen it in a couple other places as well, too. But I don't. The document links back to the book uh, that she has. But it's uh, over two hundred something X-rays in a matter of two weeks. So they were giving them X-rays with nineteen sixty-seven radiology equipment. That'll give you cancer or not. I mean, that'll make you pretty ill. So I say that's suspicious in its own as well, too. So there's a bunch of things, but you can't prove that they gave him LSD. You can't prove they gave him cancer. You can't. There's nothing. We have no documentation on that shot. And also, I mean, that's a really you got to look at like I'm trying my best to find the real truth and kind of find like the evidence, a little bit of things that are corrupt. And there's plenty of stuff that is corrupt. But also it gets like I just wish all the JFK stuff was public domain. There's so many documentaries that could have been made that go towards the conspiracy angle if the things were public domain. There's people out there that are charging $15 a second for a five-minute clip. There's so much in there where I go, you're limiting information for people to be able to see. And I feel like all of this kind of wraps under a historical event that we all – it's all of our history right now, which is the Kennedy assassination. But there's a lot of things like people that file Freedom of Information Act requests. I've heard a list of stories that go on about 10 years, seven years, whatever – just trying to get documents about something, not even national security, but their processing is so long where I just go, all this stuff should have been released a long time ago, and we're still fighting for 4,000-something documents. It's not about having a smoking gun, but you can sure as hell expose a lot of things that were covered up as well, too. Dallas police error, Secret Service error, FBI error, CIA error. There's documents now that show you that. Yeah, and nobody nobody paid the price for that, right? All of those All of those systems failed. And they even admit that they failed, that the president didn't have adequate security, that all of this stuff. But nobody, nobody was reprimanded. Do you really believe that they didn't want to embarrass, they didn't want to embarrass the Secret Services by firing? That's bullshit. I know. That's, That's bullshit. Like, what? That's they, bullshit. They had one job: yeah. protect the yeah. president. Yeah, we're going to worry about what you know their, their public image, uh, you know, as individuals. We're worried about them. If you fuck up bad enough on a job. I don't care if you're working at McDonald's. They're going to toss your ass out the door. You're just, you're just, you're just negligent in, in protecting somebody and the guy gets killed. What do you think is going to happen to you? Oh, come on now. Of course, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It was just, they're protecting their own. That's all they're doing. And uh, all of this stuff about the, uh, uh, the uh, CIA and uh, the CIA was behind it. I believe the CIA was behind it. I believe they had a hand in it. I believe that they're the ones who supplied the gun. But that's, again, that's my opinion. But um, uh, what what you were talking about before, there, there's a lot of that stuff that's out there. And uh, they still the, don't want to. The Jack uh, Ruby release. stuff or the public domain stuff? Uh, well, uh, I, the thing is, the thing is this, uh, with the, when it comes to the public domain, I think that uh I, I'm like you. I think all the records should be uh, released to the public. I don't think anything should have been withheld, uh, especially now. After they're not they're not protecting sources because all the sources are dead. If they're protecting anything, they're pro they're protecting. Uh, they usually use the excuse sources and methods. They're they're protecting the methods. They're not 
and that's scary. That's a scary thought because that means they may end up using those methods again. But uh, as far as that goes and stuff being released and stuff, uh, I think it should be released. And uh, uh, and uh, uh, that never should have been withheld to begin with. Well, the reason with the question of the public domain stuff is because, um, I mean, obviously, I think the main criticism I see out there is people that write a book, people that make a film. and so, Look, I think – like I've never seen the original JFK film. I've never seen it. Um, I don't want to see it until like a little bit down the ways just so I don't get any – I don't know. I don't want anybody else's message getting put into my thoughts on anything. But I, Jim's film got me interested into it. I respect the hell out of Jim's film. I've recommended it to friends. I just had a coworker recently that watched it. Now, fantasy stuff, I get that, and I think that's – it's okay. But for me, as now I'm getting interested in the assassination, trying to decipher fact from fiction as well too, things that I've seen through documentation. I mean there's something in the 22 release about a polio inoculation, about making someone forget everything. That's in the brand-new release that just happened. I have no idea what the hell to do with that document. I just – Oh, okay, I can show it to you. And people are like, what does it mean? I'm like, fuck if I know. Name, Dam's name's redacted. I don't know. I don't even know if this what is this is real or they're fucking with me. I have no clue. But what is important is Oliver Stone's film creating the assassination records review board. I think that's very important because that would not have probably happened if it wasn't for that film. I think there could be more things productive in that style as, as well, too. But as much as things we see lean one way, and then there's some things that have conspiracy stuff on there. I just think you have to kind of accept both, and there's been a large shaming of the conspiracy aspect of things. That's kind of what pissed me off recently about the most recent release is that like I was into it before all the articles started trending, and I'm sure every year all the articles trend on JFK when it's around the time JFK was assassinated. I bet there's plenty of article pieces, but this one was a little bit different. This one hit to me a little bit different, maybe because I'm interested into it, or I just saw the public interest a little bit more. But there's a lot of people when those documents were released, like, could anybody break down these documents? I'm like, dude, it's two days after they were released, and there's like, what, 14,000 or 8,000 something documents that were released or something like that? I'm like, there's no way. You're going to be able to go through all of that, even if it's one page. You're going to take some time. You're going to sort through your stuff. You're going to try and check your information. But there's a lot of documents and things that either someone got exclusively or went to the archives and didn't take a picture to upload it on the internet, but they put it in a book. And then that's a problem as well, too. It's not saying you didn't do good work and you put it in a book, but it is the fact that someone has to now buy your book and then find it through reading your book to get the message. And I, to me, I'm just like, I think it's more of an interest to the public, whether it's a video, whether it's a book, to have it up there for people to be able to see and at least get a better aspect of history. Because I don't know about you. I like listening to the tapes. I like listening to John F. Kennedy say the F word. I don't think it, it incriminates him at all. I think what it is is just it makes him seem like a human being. We all curse all the time. So we can drop the whole professional like president never says a curse word and is the you know the Hail Mary of God. No, we can drop that and we can have a, a reasonable discussion as human beings do. Like I get crap for having certain guests on my show that are JFK related. Doesn't mean I agree with him. I don't really agree that the Dallas police was in this giant corrupt thing. I think there's a lot of things that can be explained. But if that's what you believe, tell me about it. Let's talk about it. That's the whole conversational point of people that have done investigative research, people that have, you know, talked to people, interviewed people, went to the archives. To me, the archives, I mean, I have thoughts about the archives. You're like, I think it's just a fucking mess. I know it's good for use and stuff like that, but if the government, if it's a government building, 
the government could just go in there and be like, oh, we're going to take these documents back because we thought they shouldn't be released. And then where's the, I mean, come on, like that, that's not crazy because there's a lot of things in the archives that just seem like they just went missing. And I, I think that's, you know, I don't know. I, that's why I say I told uh, Tom Samaluk when he was on the show, I was like, did you take pictures of any of the stuff before you gave it to the archives? He's like, no, I was like, dude, upload it to the internet, man. The internet's going to be on, someone's going to take that and go on various different sites. And I think I mentioned to you, I mentioned this to you, stuttered, I'm sorry. I mentioned this to you on your first time on, which was about the website, jfk.hood.edu. I don't think that guy's alive anymore. Um, it says at the bottom of his site that he paid for an extra eight or 10 years after his death to be able to continue that. You said you knew the guy, but that's important. I think there's a couple of years left on that site, but thank God that he did that and thought about who's going to come across this later. Because once that site goes down, if you didn't screenshot or grab anything off of it, it's going to be gone. It's much like all these people that spend articles and all their time blogging about other people. When you die, it's not going to matter. I hate to say it like that, but it's going to be up there for however long that domain goes up there, and then it's gone. It's going to be something else. So then you're just wasting time doing that. But I get it. There's obviously a division in the community, but it's the money-making aspect of things, which I can understand from like the lone nut people that get mad about the conspiracy people for making work and then publishing it because they're making money off of it. And also the conspiracy people being mad at the lone nut people doing the same exact thing. If you can all unite on that front that you all care about the assassination, then you should be able to have a conversation about it as well, too. Now, I'm not going to say I'm out of that mix as well either. I've probably stuck more with conspiracy people on my show just because they're a little bit – I don't like being talked down to. So that really gets me. And it's not an interview. It's conversation. But, I mean, we. what are your thoughts on the whole money-making aspect and, and, of things? And, and, and the conspiracy side, they have a lot more to offer as far as uh, new information and uh, – Stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I can understand where you would. As long as it's not the guy that says it was all an Israel pop plot, I was like, get get out. I can't. I can't do that. No, I'll get me banned off YouTube. Get out of here. Well, some of the some of the some of the theories are quite bizarre. And uh, and but as far as the money aspect goes, uh, it, it kind of pisses me off that people make money off of this. It really does. Because you get a guy like, I'll give me an example, Vince Palomaro. He he publishes a book online and offers it for free for anybody who wants to read it. He's the world's expert on the Kennedy uh, Secret Service. He He's interviewed like something like 200 uh, agents that were in the Secret Service. I've had time. him on the, the show. Guy, he's, a, he's a good friend, too. Yeah, the, the guy knows his shit. There's no doubt about it. Okay. And he's a Steelers uh, fan. So. Uh. Yeah, he's a steel he's a Steelers <laughs> fan. And you know what? I've I've always been a Pirates fan, so we get along pretty good. And uh, uh I've had uh you know personal uh emails with him and stuff and messages with him. I he's a, I consider him a, one of my online friends, but he knows his shit. And uh and he's a guy who published and when he first did it, the first time he did it with his first book, I was like, what the hell? He's putting a book on there for free. And sure enough, he published the book online for free. But uh there's a lot of people making a lot of money on this, and that kind of pisses me off in a way because people have a right to know the truth. And I don't consider myself a conspiracy theorist in the in the in the, in the rain that I'm not uh, finding conspiracies under every rock. I'm not looking for them. I consider myself more of a truth seeker. I want to know the truth. I believe that we were lied to about this case, anyways. 
I don't ask me about RFK and MLK and all those other cases. I don't know too much about them. But in this case, I know for sure we were lied to. Okay. And this was the very first time where people started to say, you know, maybe this isn't the truth. And they started to lose their faith in their government, what the government was telling them. And the government's been lying ever since. I mean, from Nixon's Watergate to the Reagan's Iran Contra to all kinds of shit, you know, the, you know, I didn't have sex with that woman and uh, all of them. I mean, they just keep fucking lying and, and and they lie about everything. So how can you believe them when they say that Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction and he doesn't? I mean, it's just one lie after the next. Well, it's and crazy it to, to me be... is when it gets unfathomable for people to believe. Like I didn't believe that – I didn't know about the Johnson stuff until – uh, you know, later when Rob kind of mentioned it, and I was like, "What?" And then I looked into it, and it is real. I mentioned it to a guy who studies government ethics. His name's Walter Schaub, and he said that sounds like a conspiracy to me. And I literally in that episode put a disclaimer where I showed the CNN articles, I showed all the statements from the Secret Service people that talked about Lyndon Johnson getting naked in front of them and doing all this type of stuff, dragging people to the bathroom, middle of the conversation. You know, I think that's like a lot of part of history that people don't know about. Like people always, when they talk about Kennedy, they're bringing up like a scandal or something like that and i'm gonna at some point dive into that to me i just i don't care about that right now i care more about like the death and then kind of what was happening before and then what happened a little bit afterwards as well too but that's it's history that's now remembered by my generation younger generation whenever you see kennedy's face is the first thing people think marilyn monroe or they think something of that sort and if it's true you got to find the truth but if it's not true you should probably let the information be known that it's there's some discrepancies and this is kind of running down a conspiracy thing like what's the real evidence in that as well too and right now all we have is some photos we have of like frank sinatra and kennedy and then you have a song by frank sinatra and kennedy what the hell do you want the public to do with that nobody that was around in this time period to understand what the hell was going on whether in hollywood the rat pack the mob connection anything of that sort so now that's their fault for not letting this all be public domain it's their fault for buying the zapruder film and doing whatever they did to it. It's their fault for taking evidence the FBI did out of whatever lockup and then 200 things of evidence and then coming back the next day with more evidence. Like you, you, you did a lot of things that were sketchy. And with that, you have the public's trust start to dwindle down. So it's not saying you hate your government, but it's also about recognizing corruption where it stands. And I think at this point now, the people that do do all the research, I mean, you can't really blame them for making money. I mean, I wish it was... If we live in a world that you didn't have to pay bills and shit, but at the same time, John Orr, for instance, he's done great work. He was able to make the magic bullet theory work, but only if it goes through one person and he still has questions about how the hell do you have bullets that weren't submitted into evidence that were hit to the motorcade vehicle. But all of his work has been free. He's been putting money into this thing and not charging people for it because he wants the information to be out there. That's a rare thing, and whether you agree with them or not, I don't agree with every single person on my show, but at the same time, I mean, if you do the work for it, you can sure as hell talk about it, and I think you know, doing podcasts like you're doing as well too, I appreciate it, and talking to me about the case as well too, but that's the point of it. That's the point of posting an article on a forum is to engage the discussion, not say you're wrong and then never comment again. <laughs> Yeah, and that's what I got totally on the first time I was on the show. Sometimes you got to throw shit against the wall and see if it sticks, you know, because uh, you got you got to get people involved in this conversation. And I've posted stuff that they they said, oh, well, we 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 talked about that way back, and well, let's talk about it some more, 
you know, there's a whole new generation of people coming along the, down the line, and they may not know how to go back and and uh, look back in the archives of the uh, forum to find out what we talked about back then, 15 years ago. So let's talk about it again for them. Maybe there's some new information that's been released since then that may change some people's minds. So it's always good in the forums to uh, uh, incite uh, uh, conversation and debate. Okay, but some of these people, they're just, I don't have, I don't have a hell of a lot of respect for people who uh, back the Warren report. Okay, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I would, if I were convicted of a crime, I would not want them on my jury because they would listen to the prosecution's case and then they'd say, okay, he's guilty. That's it. We don't need to hear anything from the defense because that's what this was. This was, uh, this was a collection of evidence against Oswald. It was not a uh, a criminal investigation. So they hear all the evidence against Oswald. They're, they're convicted in their hearts that Oswald is guilty. And anything that shows the opposite, they won't, they reject. I mean, what kind of a juror would do that? It's ridiculous. So I, from that point of view, I don't, I don't think that they're, they're objective at all. I don't think they're reasonable. I don't think they're reasonable people. And I have a hard time debating them because of that fact. Because their their minds are already made up, and it doesn't matter what what evidence you show them, they're just going to laugh it off, and they're going to call you a kook or something else. Because uh, uh, you don't you're showing them that the evidence is wrong. Well, it's when you want to look at something like this, you want to fact check it. The best thing to do is to find a document. I mean, there's plenty of government documents that I think we all point to, which is going to show conspiracy on some things as well too. But it's also a government document. So when you're asking for an investigation to happen, if the people are in charge of the investigation. I mean, are they going to go down certain avenues that necessarily they don't want to fit? And it sounds crazy, but it's really not that crazy when you look at the way that there's documents out there about Garrison. I have never talked really about Garrison. The only thing I've ever mentioned about him is that there's documents that state Garrison's attempts to embarrass the agency. If you read that properly, does that sound like a government that works for the people or does that seem like a government that sees you as a problem? So, I mean, that's not getting conspiracy. That's just how these – the FBI does not talk to the CIA. The CIA does not talk to the FBI. The NSA doesn't talk to either of them, and they all do not really think that anyone's innocent in anything. I mean there's documents on the NSA that talk about the FBI in a horrible way. The FBI talks about the CIA in a horrible way. So when you get out of the mindset of the government all working under one thing and everyone shakes hands and it's red, white, and blue, you kind of start to boil it down to people and people that are going to try and protect the agency as well too. If you work for the FBI, you don't want any bad smoke going towards the FBI, which is why there's a lot of cover-ups, a lot of scandals, and a lot of lies. So when you see an agent or a document that states Garrison's attempts to embarrass the agency, well, look at throughout all of history when it comes to those agencies. They've done everything possible to protect their credibility. So there's the danger. And when you look at the Warren Commission, it's a blue ribbon committee. These guys with excellent profiles and resumes, well, they're going to do a good job, right? Because they have such extensive military careers. Well, the, I think this, the main guy that I think it was Alan Dulles that did the most number of interviews was like 6% of them all. And the other one's kind of like one or two maybe, but it was mostly done by the secondary committee, a young team of lawyers. So now you can really question why do we need this representation of a star-studded cast to do this committee when they don't even show up to do the fucking interviews? So it's not conspiracy to doubt the Warren Commission. It's not a conspiracy to look at the Warren Commission as a shit job because 
really, I mean, if you look at it, it was kind of a show. It's much like watching news now. I mean, it's a show. When they get sued, Fox does or CNN does, they say we fall in the same category as WWE entertainment. So, okay, now there's no journalistic integrity as well, too. And then the whole damn thing goes to shambles. And you kind of start just realizing that it's like when someone does a police investigation, I think I told you this example off air first time we tried this, which was if I show you a video of a house burning and we walk into this house burning and I say, make your investigation of why this house burned down. And you look over and see an electrical socket with black smoke that came out of it. You go, the electrical socket caused the fire. And I go, congratulations. And I shake your hand and, you know, give you a little metal and everything. And then I go, well, we're going to go back to, uh, you know, the bunker, whatever the police headquarters. And I'm going to show you something else. And I show you five videos before the house burned down, one with a fork and a toaster, one with a candle that's lit, one with the electrical socket and two other things that could cause a fire. Now you're 100% certainty that that electrical socket caused the fire has now turned into five different solutions of like, okay, maybe I need to look at this again and make another investigation into it warren commission hsca you get it like it's it's just people doing a job and they're trying the best they can the three bullets fired at kennedy and hoover says all of them hit okay james tag okay two bullets went into the motorcade and one missed you see what i'm saying is like that investigation starts to go from 100 foolproof to this is what happens and oh my god it's now a person that's trying their best to figure out what happened with the things that they have in front of them and when new evidence comes out the issue becomes is that when they stop letting the new evidence come out, when there's a lot of things that be suppressed, and now you have corruption, which is back to what we were talking about in the beginning. Yeah, they. Uh, that doesn't sound crazy. There was, a, there, there was a lot of stuff they suppressed. There was a lot of stuff they suppressed. There were witnesses that that didn't uh, fit their their narrative, and they they never even called them. And the FBI was responsible for that because the FBI was in control of the witness list. So the FBI decided which witnesses would testify before the Warren Commission and which wouldn't. So it was the FBI, uh, good old J. Edgar Hoover, dress wearing J. Edgar Hoover, who uh, uh, was the one who decided that Oswald was guilty and that any uh, evidence to the contrary, the Warren Commission would never hear about. If I was going to say who, I would definitely boil it down to somewhere with that Hoover scenario. <laughs> I hate to say it like that, but I've learned way too many bad things about that guy to do anything that would be you know, saying that he was he was innocent 100 percent because there's a video you can watch of Johnson saying I'm going to give Hoover life uh, for his career as the FBI. And I was like, didn't Kennedy try and put, make Hoover retire as well, too? And you can look at Hale. He was, plan he was planning to. He would he would have been eligible for retirement in 1965. And the word was that Kennedy was going to have him retire. I mean. The weird thing for me is that I didn't know about, which was when Kennedy was doing the uh, debates versus Nixon. I didn't know Alan Dulles helped Kennedy. Like he supported Kennedy, um, even wrote some of his speeches as well to some of the things he was saying. I think that's where a lot of the hard cold warrior kind of stuff comes from as well, too, is because they realize this. Because I don't think I think Alan Dulles knew that Nixon was a put, wasn't a pushover. You know, we have plenty of tapes of Nixon talking about Bohemian Grove saying it's. So it's stupid. Well, he says it's the faggiest thing he's ever seen. And that's from his quote. That's not me saying that word, but it's him stating that. And Bohemian Grove was a conspiracy for the longest time. And But we have tapes of Nixon talking about it. He just didn't play. I mean, he tried to create his own FBI after he couldn't get Hoover to help him out with a certain scenario. You know, so he wasn't a pushover. He thought the agencies work for me. I'm the president. And I think we know that that's not how it works. You're in office for four years if you don't get reelected again. 
So you kind of have to go with the whim of the agencies. And that's when Kennedy gets elected and he asks for Alan Dulles to be on his staff and also J. Edgar Hoover. They're the main guys in charge that have been in charge of their agencies for however long. So they're, you get them on board. You get the whole CIA and FBI on board as well too. Smart, but then firing Dulles is a problem. And then also Hoover as well too, trying to get him to retire. I mean that's going to only piss off the FBI to not like you at all because everyone had mad respect for Hoover. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, respect and fear because Hoover had uh, the dirt on everybody. So uh, and because he was living this secret life, uh, anybody who outed him uh, would have been in big trouble because he had he knew who was sleeping with who and you know which congressmen and senators were going uh, to uh, uh, to South America and uh, picking up little boys and stuff on their trips and he knew every he knew everybody's uh, oh yeah he knew everybody's uh, dark side including Kennedy and you know when you talk about you mentioned before about Kennedy and the dark side of Kennedy and some of the stuff he was doing. I think that's important from a standpoint of uh, understanding what the Secret Service thought about the president um, and how they felt about their roles uh, in the Kennedy White House. You know, how they were more or less errand boys and uh, they were only there to protect him from Jackie finding out that he was screwing around behind her back and stuff like that. It really brought down morale. And uh, I think when you start to talk, look at the Secret Service role and why they did what they did and why they didn't respond and why they allowed the president to get killed, I think uh, it, it, that's that's good for a motive, okay? But otherwise than that, you know, as a, as an American, what the hell do I care what the president does? That's his business. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, to me, I it doesn't make a difference. I mean, I, I probably yeah. listen That's to between him and his wife. Yeah, I, I listened to probably Don McGovern, uh, his work on the whole Kennedy scandal thing. I think he said it was like a one night stand. Um, I'm just trying to try and have him on to talk about it as well, too, to just because that's an area, like I said, I haven't really touched about. But you, you got to like look past. I mean, what it's I agree with you 100 percent. The American aspect, which is like, why do I care what he's doing in his free time? What do I care if he smokes cigarettes, smokes weed? I don't give a shit like that's it, people do way worse than that now that we know about. Um but it's that whole political line as well, too. I mean, if you can find a way and I don't agree 100 percent with the Camelot thing, the theory of like Camelot was this perfect, pristine order that was going to do. But I guarantee I think Kennedy would have made some changes. Sure. But I'm also not a diehard Kennedy fan. I just didn't grow up in that time period to know the person. I'd have to meet him to know who he is. I thought he would have brought real change and probably better change. But I don't think the country's ever been the same since Kennedy. Uh and I think that's be not because of his death, but because of his ideas. There's a certain question I've, I'll ask you this as well, too, which is I think Nixon, if he would have been elected instead of Kennedy, I don't think we would have had the, the history that we have on Nixon if he was elected earlier. I think he was fit for that time period, and he when he came later, we were already in a counterculture revolution. We were already dealing with things from the Vietnam War. We were dealing with so much where I think that just – he wasn't going to last in that time. He was fit a little bit earlier, but I think Kennedy with his ideas and things that he was saying, I think it kind of ushered in a small change in an aspect that kind of chain reaction to a lot of things, the way we're thinking about today when it comes to equal rights and a lot of things. And I know Johnson helped support the civil rights thing as well too. But I mean, do you think Nixon would have got all that dark history if he was elected earlier? I think it may, it may well have been if Nixon had been a, uh, elected earlier we might not be here right now where, where would we be china 
it wouldn't be here. Oh. I don't World think War so. III. I think I think I, I think I think well I think I think Nixon would have invaded Cuba. And I think that would have been a big, big problem. Because that's what they were afraid of. That's what everybody was telling Kennedy. Invade Cuba. We gotta invade Cuba. Gotta go in. We gotta get rid of Castro. Cuban Missile Crisis. If Nixon was there with the Cuban Missile Crisis, they would have invaded. And it would have been a nuclear war. And I'm not sure we would have been here. Do you believe the 600 and something attempts on Castro's life? Or do you think it was probably like 638? Do you think it was that though? I thought it was 683. 638 attempts against Castro. They couldn't kill him. Do you believe that though? Either look, I either believe the theory that Traficante was a double agent. Yeah. You know why you want to know why I believe that? Because Castro had totally infiltrated the uh, Cuban exile community in Miami. He had his agents all over the place. And he knew when they were coming. He knew how they were going to kill him. He knew he knew the whole thing. That's why they couldn't get him, because he knew in advance that they were coming. He knew. He knew when they were going to invade the, the uh, Bay of Pigs. He knew that in advance. He knew that two days ahead of time. The Russians had told him. He, he knew he, every time the United States moved against Castro, Castro knew it in advance. That's why they were never successful against him. They should have just left the guy alone for crying out loud. Besides having the number, I haven't been able to see every single way that they've done. I know there's a book about it by Fabian Escalante, and I don't know if he's being accurate in it or not. I wanted to try and find his email to invite him on to talk about it. But I have seen, I think I have a total of 20 that I have seen, like poison cigars, explosive cigars, shellfish toxin, um, botulium stuff labeled in his cigars as well to make poison cigars. Uh, I've seen the wetsuit thing where they were going to put something in his wetsuit when he went diving and exploding seashell. I've I've seen these documents on that, and I've seen the 13 listed names on it as well too, and one of those is an MK Ultra guy named Sidney Gottlieb, probably the most famous in MK Ultra, poison powder in his beard to make his beard fall out but I, <laughs> being fall out it's a yeah, character that, assassination that's, a... that's smart as hell uh it's not a mob strategy i can tell you that there's no fucking guy with a mob iq that's doing that make his beard fall off and everybody will hate him <laughs> i mean it's all the power uh, you know you're beard. talking about you're talking about godly you know that he had at the time that one of the things they were talking about get, getting castro they had uh they had he had a, a chemical which he could inject into your into you and it would cause a heart attack. It would cause you to die of a heart attack. That's the heart attack no tra- in, the, in the church community. And, and, and leave no trace of itself in your bloodstream after. It's that bacillium toxin. It's black tar. And if you really want to chase that down, if you believe that we were in Vietnam for – I mean there's plenty of reasons why we are in Vietnam. I guess they keep saying there's many reasons for war, um, even though the public doesn't agree with any of them. But one of them is the heroin theory that two of the longest wars we've ever fought were – biggest heroin circles ever heroin triangles which is vietnam and afghanistan now if you believe that theory if you look up what that bacillium toxin is it's black tar it's black tar heroin so i mean ah, maybe i don't know but Sidney gottlieb is like i mean his whole idea for making poison bullets i think they called them flushettes is what they called them in the church. If you watch it, anybody out there listening, I've showed it on air before, but it's a YouTube video of the heart attack gun where they said it shoots a dart from about 100 meters uh, and it can, within 24 hours, someone will go into heart, uh, cardiac arrest. I mean, that's your agencies. I mean, if they have ideas like that and they create things like that, you can only imagine what has happened over the past 30-something years because nobody in the church committee really suffered a price. The agencies got, CIA got a little bit embarrassed, but even they had two directors that were right beside William Colby in the trial of all that stuff, and they were saying we don't want him to expose too much 
you know, he wants to be honest, but we can't let him be too honest because we have people that are overseas and intelligence operations. And you're going to put them at risk. I agree with that. Do not put them at risk. But at the same time, when you get into the part about publishing the budget for the CIA and they go, well, you don't have to do that. Why the hell not? If it's coming from American taxpayers, shouldn't that be published and we should be well known on what you're exactly doing? Because we found out you're on college campuses influencing people as well, too. And you're also doing a lot of things like a heart attack gun and plenty of other stuff with COINTELPRO that the FBI was up to as well, too. There's a lot of stuff, not just the CIA doing bad things. And I think that should be, you know, this whole area of national security. Like, define your terms, please. That's all. Just tell me what, what do you, you can't leave in an open door policy like, oh, an interview with Oswald, for instance, at a mental institution, the Clinton incident. Found that through John Newman's work. Um, I was sent that those documents, but that's not in the archives. It's not even in the ARRB David Montague's notes, and he's the one that specifically requested for that. That's not on the Mary Farrell site. Is that locked up still? The full info? I don't know. Why is it an interview at an institution? National security. That just kind of blows that whole 4,000 documents of intelligence operations stuff out of the water if they have an interview there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's some. There's some a lot of stuff that's still... Uh, people say, yeah, he was here, he was there. Who knows? You know, because uh, the documents say that he was, but why isn't it all part of the uh, official version, the whole the whole story? Um, and let people, let the researchers sift through it and find out what the truth is. The garrison uh, found out about that Clinton uh, uh, hospital and his, his theory was that they were trying to get Oswald into the hospital so that he they they can use him just you know make some paper changes and stuff get him to work there but get some paper changes and make him in, into a uh, into an inmate you know and uh, that would have added more to his uh, his uh, cover story that he was a mental case. What about the one guy who said there was a conspiracy and he was checked into a mental institution? His whole life was basically ruined. Uh, there were there were a couple of. Uh, there were a couple of uh, military people who claimed that they were decoders, and they claimed that they got coded messages uh, planning the, you know, ad advanced knowledge of the assassination of the president. They stuck them in a nut house. And I'm saying to myself, well, and, and, and this is what they argue. I say, okay, he said that this guy, that the president was going to be killed in Texas. One said around November 28th. Uh, the other one said the president would be killed in Dallas, uh, that these were all coded messages. This is this is stuff that they got, and he went. Well, one guy, I think it was Eugene Dinkin, was his name. He went AWOL, and in, in France, and uh, he he told them. I forget what, where he ended up. Uh, I don't forget if it was in Denmark or where it was. Wherever he ended up, he told them that uh, the president was going to be killed and all this other stuff. And so, the newspapers got a hold of it, <clears throat> and he tried to send. Uh, one of them, I don't forget if it was him or the other guy, tried to send a letter to Robert Kennedy warning him that the president would be killed if he went to Texas. And uh, so they turned around, they put him in a nut house. And the House Select Committee of Assassinations was supposed to question him, but they never questioned him. They questioned the sergeant instead as to what kind of a guy he was and all this stuff. Why the hell did they just question the guy? Uh, maybe he was dead. I don't know. I, I really didn't get that far into it. But uh, of course, the, the uh, the Warren Commission supporters say, well, these guys were all ended up in a, in a mental institution, so they had to be crazy, right? Well, then my question is, well, tell me what kind of mental illness that allows anybody to, to allow its sufferer 
any kind of uh, uh, ability to tell the future. You know, what kind of mental illness allows somebody to tell what's going to happen in advance? It's, it doesn't make sense. So I think that they did find out about this, that this assassination was being spoken about in, uh, in code through the military. I believe the military was involved. I believe the Secret Service was involved. I believe the FBI was involved. I believe that the uh, Dallas police were involved. I believe they were all involved in this. This was a local a Dallas, uh, and all of these had, you know, uh, offices in the uh, in the Dallas area. They were all controlled by this one guy who uh, spent a lot of money. And uh, I believe that the, they all knew that this was coming in advance. And then you have the, uh, the teletype that uh, they say never existed. The FBI said never existed. And uh, that's interesting. And that warned that a, a violent revolutionary group was planning to kill the president in Dallas on his trip there November 22nd, 23rd. And it, it advised all the, this came out on the 17th now. It came out on the 17th, a day after Oswald had met with James Hosty. Uh, Hosty, according to the Dallas Morning News, uh, it had met, uh, an article that said that Oswald had met with Hosty on the 16th of November. The following day, this teletype supposedly was uh, uh, caught in, uh, in New Orleans by a clerk, an all-night clerk that was there named William Walter. And uh, he claims that, that that's what the, uh, the teletype said, and it, it requested all um, agents to uh, contact uh, uh, PCIs and uh, PCI means a criminal, uh, uh, potential criminal informant uh, and uh, CIs, criminal informants, and anybody to see if there, there was any truth to this. Well, this was all, the FBI has no record of it. After the assassination, uh, the FBI has no, no record of it. Nobody knows anything about it. So they kind of make this Walter guy up to see, you know, like he's, he's crazy. He's another one of those nuts. But they knew this was going to happen in advance. That's the point I'm trying to make. They knew this was going to happen in advance. Um, I believe that uh, I believe the uh, letter that Oswald sent on November 8th to Dear Mr. Hunt. I don't know if you've seen that letter or not. Uh, it says, uh, Dear Mr. Hunt, uh, uh, I'm. Uh, let me let me see if I can call it up. Is this, here. Is uh, that, I think I I think Jerry Croth said said that um when I had him on. Yeah, it was a. Uh, uh, there was an Oswald letter to uh, Mr. Hunt. Let's see if it's... Uh... Jerry Croft believes it was James Files that did it. Yeah. See, was, you know, There's like 30 people that said they killed Kennedy. I mean, for God's sakes, I got to ask Woody Harrelson about his dad. I got a, I got a, I got a problem with these people who come forward and say, you know, I did it. I mean, it's like the Zodiac killer. When the Zodiac killer happened, there was a bunch of people that went forward and said, oh, yeah, I, I'm the Zodiac killer. Like, how'd you kill your victims? Oh, I beat them to death with a hammer. Well, Zodiac killer never killed anybody with a hammer. It was just people that wanted the fame for it, which is like Oswald. He never wanted the fame for it. He never said it. He never, ever stated he killed the president. He never left anything at the fucking window. Like, here's my wallet. Here's my, that's what they should have did is dropped his wallet at the damn book depository building or something. I mean, he could have just been like, of course. I mean, he says when someone asked him, why'd you kill the president? Why were you at the building? He's like, well, naturally, if I work there, like mm -hmm. I work there. Were you in the building? 
Yeah. Were you in the building? And then meanwhile, there's another guy that keeps asking him, did you kill the president? And he says, no, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't shoot anybody. The reason why they they arrested me is because I lived in the Soviet. Did you kill the president? And then he, it's like, and then he goes, did you kill the president? Again, guy, he answered your question three fucking questions ago. You know, why do you keep asking him the same question? I mean, they this did that the in the, the old. I'm going to read you a letter. I'm going to read you a letter. Yeah. Dear Mr. Hunt, I would like information concerning my position. I am asking only for information. I am requesting that we dis we discuss the matter fully before any steps are taken by me or anyone else. Now that's an interesting letter. This was written on November eighth, nineteen sixty three. Thank you, Lee Harvey Oswald. So, who is Mister Hunt? Well, everybody for years thought it was uh, E. Howard Hunt that yeah. he was writing, it. That, but that's not who it was. It was the other Hunt. It was the oil man. And so, on the on the and the reason why I know that is because. His security a guy said that he they found it on they found this letter on H.L. Hunt's computer, uh, so he wasn't talking to E.L. Uh, e. Howard Hunt. He was talking to the other Hunt. I know you can't talk a whole lot about it because you got you're going to publish an article about it. But damn. Yeah, well, well, you know the, the thing is, uh, th there's a lot of connections here. Okay, there's connections. There's connections with Joe Savillo, the mafia boss in, in Dallas, who was a friend of Jack Ruby. Savillo was called to Hunt's house after they found out about Oswald's security. And what did Hunt talk to Savillo about? Well, they wanted him taken out. And uh, he wanted Oswald taken out. And Savillo got a hold of Jack Ruby and had him do it. And that's why Ruby was saying, the people that have put me in this situation, they'll never let the, the truth come above board. Because he knew that H.L. Hunt owned Lyndon Johnson. He owned uh, J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, he owned all of these people. That, that The truth is never going to come out. You got to... And he's telling, and he's telling Earl Warren, my life is in danger here. I want to tell you my story, but I can't tell it to you here. Why? Because those people. That's what I believe. But anyways, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it all shakes out. Uh, because uh, Ruby knew Wade. There's no doubt in my mind that Ruby knew Wade. Wade was a liar. Wade said, oh, I, didn't, I, I never met Jack Ruby. First time I saw him was when he answered the question the other night when I, or he corrected me. That's what it was. He corrected me when I... When I said something, he, uh, he said, fair, fair, free Cuba committee. And uh, Ruby said, no, fair play for Cuba committee. Henry, he kept calling him by his name, Henry. So he knew who he was. And uh, even the, the witness says that Wade used to drink in Ruby's, uh, in Ruby's bar. Uh, and with other jealous police officers, we were talking about the corruption before. So all of this stuff was, uh, was all connected. It was all connected. And Ruby was running guns, too. There were guns Thank that you. were being stolen out of Fort Hood. There were guns being stolen out of Fort Hood, Texas, and uh, the ATF got involved in that. An agent named Frank Ellsworth got involved in that, and uh, uh, two of the people he was going to bust these guys he, big time. They were stealing these guns for uh, what they called the second invasion of Cuba. This is it. This is all interesting because the guy who was involved in this gun, one of the guys who was involved in this gun running from, was a reserve that worked at uh, Fort Hood, was also a student at North Texas State University, okay? North Texas State University was the alibi for the guy who had brought two rifles into this Texas school book depository two days before the assassination, a guy named Warren Castor. See, he claimed that he was at Texas, North Texas State University having lunch with uh, Vernon Payne, who was the uh, head of the uh, business school there. That was his alibi for not being in Dallas that day. And he brought the rifles in, he had bought one rifle for his son for Christmas. Another one was a, get this, a 30-odd six that had been converted. 
and uh, a 30 yard six, he called it a 30 yard six Mauser. And uh, one, of the Mau one of the Mausers that were converted to 30 yard sixes in those days was the Argentine 7.65 Mauser. Now we get into the whole thing with Roger Craig seeing a 7.65 Mauser. So Seymour Weitzman saying it was a 7.65 Mauser. Eugene Boone describing it as the rifle found in the school book depository is a 7.65 Mauser. And all of this stuff gets connected. And you say to yourself, wow, when you're, when you're reading this, you know, it's, you're reading these, these testimonies and these uh, documents and you're saying, wow, these guys, maybe there really was a second rifle found in that building. Very interesting stuff. And yeah. now here's another thing. This guy, that, this guy, this guy Castor, that brought the two rifles into the building, his office, he was the regional manager for Southwest Publishing Company. Okay, Southwest Publishing Company was on the second floor of the Texas School Book Depository. It had windows on Elm Street and it had windows facing the grassy knoll. It was a corner office, so it had windows both ways. Now, Southwest Publishing Company, this is interesting because before the assassination, this woman named Elizabeth Cole had heard, had gone to a, uh, a seminar in New Jersey and she heard these two Cuban students talking in Spanish, uh, talking about an assassination of Kennedy in Dallas when, when he went to Dallas, that they were going to try to assassinate him. And she understood what they were talking about was that the assassination would happen from a building where there was a publishing company. Say, now all of this is starting to get tied together. Now you're saying, well, you know, of course, she claims that she reported this to the New York office of the FBI. This was before the assassination. Well, so they send a letter to the the teletype, the Hoover sends a teletype to New York and to New Jersey to find out, you know, if there's any record of her reporting it. Of course, they have no record of her reporting it, even though her mother backs her up that she did. And she even tells the name of the person that she talked to in the office. But all of this stuff starts to make sense now they're, 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 because the Cubans can't keep their mouth shut. They got diarrhea in the mouth. They, you could never keep you could never keep a secret in the in the Cuban community. That's why Castro knew every time they were coming because they were all, they all talked about it. Once they found out something, that was it. You know the old mafia saying, "No, three people can three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead." You know that's the way it was down there. As soon as they got something, that was it. It got out all over the place, and. Even the, uh, I think it was, I don't know if it was the New York Times or one of the newspapers the day before the Bay of Pigs uh, were reporting that the U.S. was going to invade Cuba or that the, uh, at, the um, at least the uh, anti-Castro Cubans were going to invade Cuba. And Kennedy's like, what the Russians, all they have to do is read the New York Times. They don't have to even have spies in this country. All they got to do is read the new American newspapers. They tell everything. Before we get all over the board on this one, um... We went already did already went all over the board throughout the conversation, but that's kind of how my show goes, Gil. And you know, we could talk for hours upon this. I'm, I'll have you back on for sure to talk more about this. I would like to get you on a panel at some point if I schedule another one down the road. Um, but real quick, is there can everyone find your links? You've done great work. You've written plenty of articles on the uh, I, John, John Duncan site. I think I'm saying his name properly. Um, I've seen plenty of stuff you've wrote and on the education forums as well, too. Is there a place where people can find your website and any other links you'd like to promote as well, too? Uh, well, yeah, there's the uh, there's that. Uh, I, I can't give you their address because I don't know what it is. It's uh, JFK Assassination uh, Board, uh, JFK Assassination Forum, the education forum. I'm on there. Uh, my uh, YouTube channel uh, is... Uh, I think it's uh, 
Guild Jesus uh, 8298, I think it is. Uh, if you do that, take a look at that channel. That's I got some new videos on that. Or oh, JFK 63 Conspiracy, that's on YouTube. Uh, my website is uh, guild-jesus.com. And uh, that's basically my case, my defense case, uh, uh, defense of Oswald and his innocence. And so if anybody wants to tell, they can uh, email me if they want to at uh, uh, gjjmail120253 at aol.com. I use that email for my uh, JFK stuff. And uh, sometimes uh, you, you can catch me on the uh, Usenet News Group, alternative, alt.conspiracy.jfk. And I'll tell you, I let it all hang out over there. I don't, uh, I drop the F-bombs and everything. So, you know, if you if you're, uh, you, you, you got, you're going to show, show something to your kids, I'm not something you want to see, because I, I go at these lone nutters and I let them have it full balls to the wall. I don't, uh, I don't hold back on these people. I show them how stupid they are. And, uh, that's why, that's why I'm, I'm so loved. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why they call, they call cursing a term of endearment. A lot, a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't like me because I just, I have a, I have a low tolerance for stupidity and, uh, and I'm trying to get to the truth and I'm not going to let these idiots, uh, get, stop me from getting to it. And hopefully, uh, one day we will know the truth. And um, if I can, if I can add anything to that, to that, uh, uh, to that end, uh, that's what I'm trying to do. Just try to get to the truth. Well, I appreciate the time, Gil, and I appreciate all the work. And, and thanks, and I, I appreciate guys like you who are willing to stick their necks out and, and uh, talk about stuff like this, because uh, a lot of a lot of people don't want to hear what you have to say nowadays. A lot of people want you to just keep your mouth shut and just go along with the rest. And uh, that's not what a democracy is all about. I'm not scared of the government getting me, but goddamn, if I ain't scared about the CCP, holy shit, that's one where I'm like, all right, maybe I'll tread, I'll tread lightly in that territory. No, but I'm gonna, they're they're everywhere. They're everywhere nowadays. I'm gonna link your links in the description. It's been a pleasure chatting, and thanks for listening to this episode about the Blank Podcast.